one of my most favorite things when I started working here was listings that would say like house located on a lagoon. Yeah. <laughs> it's a retention pond. <laughs> Welcome to Profession Session with Brody Vinson, where young entrepreneurs, business owners, and professionals come to tell their success stories and what got them into the industry and just get deep into what they do for a living. Tiffany, you're my guest today. This is Tiffany Howard. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Brody. Absolutely. This is very fun. <laughs> I'm excited to get into it. Yeah. Well, um, I think we're going to talk about real estate today. Absolutely. So real estate is what you do. So I guess we could start a little bit with how you got into real estate in the first place. Well, I got into real estate uh, when I was about 24 years old. I had already had a couple of babies and I had spent 10 years in restaurants. Actually, I was a chef. Oh, wow. Okay. And, um, and I got tired of the nights and the weekends and the holidays. And um, I decided, uh, you know, I couldn't stop. I couldn't work anymore with my second child. So I just went to real estate school at <laughs> 24 in St. Augustine, about six months after I moved here from Broward County. What do you think it was about real estate that drew you to it? Um, I am one of those people that functions really well under pressure. Okay. You know, if if you give me 25 things to do, I can get through that list better than two. So that's just kind of the way that I am, which I think you really have to be a little bit crazy to be in this business. It is coming from all angles all the time. It's very chaotic. It's also very exciting. I mean, honestly, I just think somebody, some people are just born hustlers. You know, we just like to get out there. It's just that sales entrepreneur, you know, instillment that you have. You know, that's you just awesome. have that or you don't, you know. So, um, yeah, it was great. Moved here from Broward County, lived in uh, St. Augustine across from Volano Beach when it looked a lot different than it does now. And it's been a really wonderful ride for the last 17 years. That's awesome. So we're in Jacksonville right now. You started kind of, so you started in Broward County with the real estate? Nope, or you came here. Came from in Broward 2004. County, started mm -hmm. here. So started here in 2004. So you've gotten to see the market kind of change and grow over a number of years now. What has that looked like? Well, I will say this market is somewhat similar to what we saw in 04, 05, 06, even through 07 here, um, before the big bubble burst of oh, 2008, no. Oh, no. <laughs> which I was working for a builder at the time. So I was not going to have a paycheck unless wow. I built another house. Wow. So what was that like? It just stopped. And it was so sad because it wasn't just fellow agents. There are so many businesses that support real estate. There was a lot of contractors that left the business that actually never came back. Wow. There were people that had to go. I mean, I knew contractors that had to go work at Home Depot. Um, people, I mean, I did a number of things for a year uh, to regroup. Um, so yeah, it was really crazy. It was really crazy. Um, but then it was all short sales. So it was very emotional for me because pretty much we're in a big military town, obviously. So sitting down on people's kitchen tables and telling them that their houses were sixty, seventy, eighty thousand $80,000 less than what they owe on it. Um, and I met a broker who was looking to open up a property management company. And I said, I don't know anything about property management. He said, well, you've got a great sales record. I'll teach you that. I, the stuff you already know, I can't teach you. So, um, 
Yeah, I took on a bunch of accounts. So turn that into some lemonade, so to speak. Absolutely. Being able to help people. Um, a lot of people have security clearances here in the military, and if they have a foreclosure or a blip on their credit, they'll lose that. So it's a very serious situation. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I basically ended up taking on tons of accounts, uh, got my broker's license in 2012, and then I went and ran a real estate company that did um, that managed about a 1,000 residential properties. Wow. So that was uh, quite an experience. Um, that is definitely uh, managed chaos, for sure, yeah. with managing repairs and keeping up with leases and inspections. And that's a really thankless job. So kudos to the good property managers out there that are actually doing it. That's a thankless job. But it all it all came full tuition. I, I made so many wonderful contacts with contractors and, you know, supporting people in the community because there's a lot of family owned and independently owned businesses here. It's a big entrepreneurial community here in North Florida. So, you know, I made all these relationships. And then when the market came back, we just started selling them all. And I had met a lot of people. So it was really good for um, for my business. And then 2006, I said, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. So um, I opened up Florida Real Estate Endeavors. And the only regret I had is uh, I didn't do it sooner. <laughs> and that's your own business. Yes. So I, I think that ties in really well to talking about your own business. You talked about a lot of those connections mm -hmm. you made because one thing I had the pleasure of working with you recently with a real estate deal. And one thing that was really unique about the way you do things is just how many different teams you had at your disposal to be able to help you with the whole yeah. process. Yeah. I feel like that's really what, what tied you apart from, from other real estate agents. I well, <clears throat> to be good, at what I do to, to a customer service is what I've always done. And I have a very high standard for such. And to really, my definition of customer service, good customer service is providing anything that someone needs without them having to ask for it. So you need to be proactive. If you've done as many transactions that I have, then you, you know, there's always surprises. There's always oh, new yeah. things, even after so many years, but there's things that you can be very proactive about. So I'm a little bit of a perfectionist, and um, so I really like to make it easy on them. Um, there, there are sellers that are experiencing some very hectic situations in this market because they've they've hired an agent that maybe isn't as experienced, and you really need to know what's happening when you list a house right now because the offers come in. Um, you you know, the agents are texting 24-7, wondering, you know, because their buyers are anxious to hear if their offer is going to be accepted. So, Because it's all very competitive and quick moving. Right now, it really is. Yeah. I mean, it always it always has been, but it, it this market is just insane. Um, it's, in my opinion, if we don't have fellow agents in our market calling for more regulation, and that's something that I would never say. I'm a straight nonconformist yeah. person. I mean, I will bend the rules as much as I can without breaking them. Mm -hmm. um, but whatever I see fit needs to be done without actually breaking the rules. But there, uh, it would, it's it's kind of scary to even hear myself say out loud that it needs more regulation, but we do. Um, what are maybe some <clears> of those challenges that lead you to say that that are unique to the situation that's going on right now? Well, just to give you, I mean, numbers don't lie, so I really love numbers. In 2010, a couple years into the recession here, uh, there were 3,200 agents in Northeast Florida, which is comprised of about five um, counties. And we've tipped 11,000 agents. Wow. And, and wow. still pushing through hundreds a month through the realtor board. So um, 
there's a, there, there's so many different terms that I have learned in the career that this new ones that keep popping up, you know. Um, I think a lot of times really to make the best decision from the public standpoint, you just really need to do your research like anything else. You know, you're a consumer. You are getting ready to go through the probably the the largest financial transaction that you'll ever complete in your life. And you really need to have someone that knows. Um, I hate to say it, but I felt really bad for a customer that decided um, to hire their best friend from high school who just got their license four months ago because it was their best friend from high school. You know, that's a choice. And, you know, and that's and that's that. But, um, yeah, there is a lot of things going on right now that are very concerning. Um, I think that it should be a little more difficult to get a license, to tell you the truth. I think that there should be some standard. uh, Yeah. Formal education Mm -hmm. for one. I mean, the current requirements are high school diploma, 18 years old, pass the state exam, pass a criminal background check. Mm -hmm. So. You know, there and there's there's not really any parameters. Um, so just just as before in the market, you would see independent brokerages opening up everywhere, mm-hmm. and um, and that is fantastic to see. But who are these people? You know, I mean, there's just so many. So some of the things that I tell people, even when I'm sitting down with them, is that if I'm the only one you're seeing, you should definitely interview someone else. I still tell them that because at the end of the day, it's the most important thing that there's a good fit. Yeah. You know. Um, things to ask because over the our realtor board stats actually say that 65% of the licensed agents in our market right now have not logged into the MLS in over a year. What's the MLS? That's the multiple listing service. That's pretty much the book of everything wow. where all the homes are listed for sale or for rent. And if you are a member of the realtor board, which is what makes your realtor. So just to back up a couple of things we have real estate agents, we have realtors, we have buying agents, listing agents, we have teams, we have the so-and-so group. So just to give a little bit of information about that, because there's so many different kinds of models, you know, skill set for someone helping someone buy a house, write a contract, negotiate to get it accepted, go through the repair process, and and all of that is one skill set. Marketing a home, understanding how to put their best foot forward, how to market it, how to get it positioned, ready for sale, that's a different skill set. So what what do each of those tie to just for the listeners? So so a little bit so basically the there's so many things involved with each of those skill sets. And so for agents to make more money and do more volume, you can only handle so much business. So they develop these teams, which basically become like a little brokerage inside of a brokerage. So you have a broker. You have to be a licensed broker and sales associates put their license underneath, which are also called agents. And they're called realtors when they join the board here. So So, is getting the broker's license one of the more difficult ones of all the different various licenses? So there's two types of um, brokers you'll see in the market. A broker associate, if you see that on someone's business card or on a website, that means they they have a broker's license, but they work underneath another broker. Okay. So instead of being a sales associate, you would be a broker associate. Um, you with a broker's license, you can hire, you can you know open up your your own brokerage like I have done, and um, you know and you can hire agents underneath you. Okay. So that's kind of some of the differences. And then within the brokerages, if someone wants to, you know, I've heard terms like mega agent, mega teams. You gotta so they'll bring on newer agents to work with buyers and just teach them how to do that. And then you know some people work on just listings, and then they bring in support staff. So if you see something like a team or a group, they may have other support members like 
a closing coordinator or something like that that calls out. So it's more of a team. Um, that has not been uh, my business model. Uh, I do less volume. I like to spend more time with people. That's and, just me. And I think you mentioned to me at one point, you have kind of a threshold of you will only take on a project if it's at a certain level. So you have kind of a, a niche market that you stick to for the most part, right? Kind of the luxury market more so. Um, I do have, you know, after so many years, you know, there are things that I enjoy more. Um, I, I would love to sell all the historical homes in Jacksonville because I love them so much. I recently just sold a historical home and I'm looking to buy and um, I can't find a house to buy in this market. <laughs> Good luck if you're looking in San Marco. So, definitely um, more of a seller's market right it's now. It's definitely a seller's market um, for sure. <laughs> but um, yeah, I do a lot of um, estate type work. Um, I've always been drawn to the compassionate people. Um, I'm very compassionate and there are just so many transactions that come about from death and divorce, mm-hmm. which is terrible to have to think of it that way. However, um, those are the people that really need someone that's going to stand in, be professional, can handle it with a compassionate heart. You know, mm-hmm. like any business um, where you're, there's an en- endless, you know, limitless income potential, there is always you know the greedy ones that come in that are just there, you know, for the buck. So I try to make myself stand apart by you know showing up doing what I'm saying I'm going to do, when I say I'm going to do it, <laughs> answering my phones. These are like the top things that people, you know, gripe about real estate. Mm-hmm. They don't answer their phone. They don't return phone calls. Um, I do have staff members, obviously, because I can't handle all of it myself to the standard. But um, I like to be the, the the contact person, the face-to-face. So even though I've got people in the background doing stuff, you're really only going to have to communicate with me just to keep it simple. So I try to keep, let people feel, you know, empowered, but also, um, you know, know what's going on and, um, and, and through that process. That's awesome. So looking for opportunities where you feel like you can really stand in as that, that strong professional and make a difference in, in the experience <clears throat> that they're having. Well, there are a ton of agents and even veteran agents that are um, been in the business longer than me. Um, and I think that it's important that we all stand together to show and model for the newer agents and what's acceptable in what you wear. It's not acceptable, in my opinion, to do Instagram photos at the beach for listings. Um, This is is a strategy. It may work. Uh, I don't think it's good for the industry. I don't think that's really good for any industry, but you know, um, that's just, but this is, we live in America. You can do, this is the freedom we have here. But yeah, I think it's a really important, um, I, w- I would love to see more regulation, you know. Um, I like that note that you had about it being good for the industry. I feel like whatever industry you're in, that's a really good focus to have is thinking not just about yourself and your business and the short term gain, but thinking about what is good for the industry because- yeah. If you plan on being in the industry long term, you want to see it thrive and continue to do yes. so. Yes. Well, everybody and their brother's been trying to put real estate agents out of business. I mean, there is talk of how much longer will there be a need for real estate agents uh, with all the technology we have. You know, we all love Zillow. Real estate yeah. agents do not like Zillow. Um, and even, you know, Realtor.com now, you know, um, there is just so many people out there that were, you know, in the investment firms and things like that. So long term, you know, we always talk about, well, in another 10, 15, 20 years, will there even be, I mean, um, iPads on little wheels are showing properties in New York right now. That's crazy. So there's, you know, a keypad, you set up a code, it's through an app and you, you know, literally 
walk through with kind of like a robot, but not. <laughs> I feel like one thing that will never go away though is like, I mean, for example, if I'm going to buy or sell a house, I, I have no idea what I'm talking about as far as valuation. I mean, you can look on Zillow and everything else, but I remember at one point we talked about kind of, I forget what you call them exactly, but unique properties where you had to take, you had to pull all these kind of reports and look at a bunch of different variables and pull them all together to even be able to think about what price range something would fall in. And I feel like there's always going to be at least unique examples like that, but also just such a high learning curve mm -hmm. that you couldn't possibly just undertake that as a person from no. the outside. Well, uh, that is a good point. If you are listing a house in a neighborhood that's like a subdivided neighborhood where the houses, there's a lot of the same house, that's easy to do a comparative right. market analysis because you can compare between. And, you know, just for the record, an appraisal is really just an opinion of value. Mm -hmm. So one appraiser could give one opinion of value, another. They do have to provide all the statistics, and it's very lengthy. But, yes, that property was unique. You have – it wasn't in a subdivided neighborhood – um, there's house on the water right around it in the millions and little houses for three and 400,000 that were built in the 60s and 70s. So it was, uh, it, it is a unique property. And that's where, you know, those resources, I think that, um, you know, that is your strongest suit um, when you're looking for someone to hire is, are they going to be able to bring everything? Because you have a job and your spouse has a job and you're working. This is our job, you know, to try to provide those. There's probably differences of opinions because, you can get blamed if you recommend someone and they don't do a good job. That's true. Uh, so there is always that risk. That's why the strong relationships are, are really important. Another thing that I try to tell people too, when you're hiring an agent, there's some simple questions you can just ask them. You know, um, is this your full-time job? There are a lot of real estate agents in the market right now that it's a side hustle. I think that's irresponsible. Um, I was going to ask about that actually because you had said something before about only, or no, 65% of the registered agents have not logged into the multiple listing service and was it the last year? Yeah. So that's that's exactly what that made me think of. It sounds like a, just a lot of yeah. side hustles, a lot of people just getting their Man. their license in case they hear about some deal that they could involve yeah. themselves in. Well, this market and and HGTV have made real estate super sexy. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can talk about everyone loves to talk about real estate. I don't you won't meet a person. Everyone wants to be a real estate investor. Yeah. And we're all going to be millionaires, which, you know, we could all do that. Um, <laughs> there's uh, all you know, I mean, I can't even tell you how many people they just like the allure of looking at all these homes online that are beautifully staged that they can never afford. It's just a sexy thing. People just love to look at houses. And obviously, since the pandemic, um, people are really investing in their surroundings. You know, they, they may not be. And a lot of people are cashing out on the equity right now, but so much has happened because people have been at home. So home offices are a big deal. Pools. I mean, unless you've got an in, yeah. you know, the waiting list to put a pool in in North Florida could be a uh, year really? or two with some companies. Wow. That is supply chain. And yeah. so for those of you that know how to build and repair pools, if I could build one, I would be opening up a pool. 
wow. company. That there is there is a there's a need for that in the Jacksonville market for sure. Wow. I imagine the prices have probably gone up. Like, oh, yes. Skyrocketed. Yes. Too. How much yeah. is it to, on average, to get a pool put in right now? I guess it varies. Well, like but. the regular kidney, you know, figure eight pools, uh, you know, 20, 25,000, those gallon ones, those used to run 30, 40,000 mm-hmm. without an enclosure, you know, just the pool. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, there's a property that I just saw that they put in a deck and the hot tub and it had, you know, lots of pavers and the enclosure, but they just signed off on the uh, last inspection that that pool in St. John's County, the pool enclosure cost them 140000 Wow. So, wow. I mean, this one was a little nicer, more right. resort style. It had a built-in gas fireplace, mm-hmm. and, you know, it was a very large space. But, yeah, the prices have almost doubled. I think that's, that's fair to crazy. say. That's crazy. The, the year to two-year waiting list thing baffles me, too. I would have never guessed that. But, yeah, supply chain has been a nightmare. Yeah. What are some other challenges that you've seen with supply chain specifically in appliances? In appliances. Yeah. Appliances have been a problem. Um, they say things are coming back. You know, supply chains are coming back. Um, but there's a lot of strange, interesting things. Um, obviously, there's a major shortage in the um, home supply. And a lot of people want to understand what that is about. Um, I try to stay engaged with where the rates are, my financial advisor, mortgage people, all the you know economic to kind of see where things are going. But one of the things that is very different in what has contributed to the home shortage that we have now, which is why people are fighting over houses, literally, I've heard of 50 people showing up at open houses in Tampa, you know, some of the markets that are a little bit hotter than the North um, East Florida market. But between 2010 and 2020, they built less houses than any other decade back to the 60s. So because of the recession crisis and because so many builders went out of business from building so much that um, there was a lot of people scared to build. So between 2010 and 2020, that decade, there were less homes built. So now it's just hurry up and catch up. And I mean, there is a tremendous amount of building going on all over Florida. Okay. I don't see any recession coming here. That's the other big thing. When is the bubble going to burst? That's what I wanted to get to asking the real questions. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's not going to be a 2008. I Mm. think that if anyone, if, that's great to hear. If you if you haven't ever watched like The Big Short, mm-hmm. that movie is very very. I was in the market uh, when that happened, and there was stuff like that going on. So if anyone hasn't seen that movie, um, that really is a I think a very good example of what happened in the market. But there has been put so much regulation in place now that I don't think that's going to happen. There's Could so much oversight. Just like a brief overview for someone who's not as familiar with that story okay. of, of what happened with the big short. Well, um, financing opened up in a very huge way. Mm-hmm. And there were some, some products that were just bad ideas. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say it was a bad idea. Um, well, I'm a very open... Inter- well, we had things like uh, no income... No income loans. I mean, they stated income, stated docs. So if you were a business owner, mm-hmm. uh, which is if you're, an, you know, if you're self-employed, it's always a little bit more difficult. Right. I always say, you know, I just prepare people. It's going to feel like someone's digging into your panty drawer because they get into a lot of information and they want to know a lot of things because you're a little bit higher risk because mm-hmm. you're not on a salary. So, but, um, you know, people were, if you had a high enough credit score, you could just tell them what you make. 
there were loans available that you could just tell someone what your social security is. They run your credit and they just tell them how much money they have in the bank. There's no verification of such. So we had people buying $400,000 houses that probably couldn't afford a $150,000 house. Wow. One of the worst things that happened were, was a loan product called a pay option arm. Every month you had four different payments that you could pick to pay. One was interest only. One was principal and interest, taxes, insurance, your full payment. Which is pretty typical. Typical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your normal payment is insurance, taxes, and in your insurance and the principal. And then um, and then there's one that you could just pay like a deferred interest. So you would you your your mortgage payment may be two grand a month, but you'd have a deferred interest payment for four hundred and people could just pay that. So you're just kicking negative the equity down the road every month. Interest. This is a very bad idea. Yeah. Yeah, Americans whole, are not disciplined with money. The whole point of buying a house is to be able to build equity as you no, go. No, that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Then to get the values, um, you know, I don't firsthand, obviously I did not take part in that, but I didn't see it either, but I knew that it happened um, from reports, but, you know, paying appraisers to price things higher, um, you know, a lot of that stuff altogether, I think just, and then, you know, countrywide. They were just taking on all these mortgage-backed securities. So you have A paper, B paper, C. I mean, I'm, I'm not a mortgage person, just for the record. So for the mortgage people listening, I'm staying in my lane, but I'm just trying to answer the question from my perspective. But they, <clears throat> there, was just a, there was just a whole lot of stuff going on in all, in all the areas. Um, and so it just made things, you know, just crazy. Um, but there's so much regulation that's been in place now um, to where – you know, if a mortgage company orders an appraisal, they don't even call the appraiser. They're not even allowed to speak to the appraiser. There's oh, a third-party wow. company that handles all of that now. That's good. Kind of a separation of yeah. interest. Yeah, so arm's length. Arm's length. Yeah. Arm's length transaction. They love that word. But um, but yeah, so uh, I don't think that's going to happen again. Uh, rates are definitely going up, um, which are going – the people that have been able to buy have had greater buying power in this market because the rates have just been ridiculously low. That's I mean, if I've you heard. were getting like a 15 or 20-year mortgage a couple of years ago, you could – 2%, wow. 3%. Would you say that – the interest rate should be more of a factor in your decision of whether it's a good time to buy than just where the prices are at. I mean, I I guess it's kind of a balancing thing, but with anything you have to look backwards Mm -hmm. in the eighties, interest rates were 18 to 22%. When I got into the business rates were six to 7%. The last eight, nine years, they've been below 5%. So to say we're at 5% now, and that sounds bad. It's not. I don't. 18 to 20. I had to that's real. That. That's crazy. Yes. And there's agents in this market now that were selling houses in that, in that era. That sounds tough. Yeah. It, wow. you, you actually had to save for a house mm-hmm. with VA loans and FHA, FHA loans, um, which you only have to put 3.5% down. And there's even conventional products now for 5% down. So it makes it uh, very affordable. But um, interest rate will affect how much you can afford. Um, if rates were lower, but, um, you know, people are asking that a lot right now. Should I buy a house? Um, I just think you can't go wrong in Florida buying a house in the second quarter. Uh, I've sat on a lot of economic boards in Florida because I have to tell people where, where the appreciation's going, where the smart buys are, what areas are going to bloom, what areas are depreciating. So 
I have to keep my finger on the pulse everywhere, but in the second quarter of 2019, it was already projected by the state of Florida that 6 million new residents in the next decade here, and that was pre-pandemic. Wow. So that's it's exploded post-pandemic, yes. during and post-pandemic. Right? Yes. 2020 was my biggest year in real estate. I believe it. Yeah. There was a lot of people home, but I was very, very busy. Very busy. Imagine. Very busy in 2020. Um, it, it was really scary for people, but, um, you know, got to take care of the got to take care of the family. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Got to take care of the family. So, um, but yeah, I don't think the bubble, I think there is going, I am hoping, and I think there are a lot of people hoping to see some type of market correction. Um, you know, I, I, I miss showing people houses that they can actually buy. I mean, the strategy now is almost like we see a house that might fit your needs. Let's write an offer and then go see it, Mm -hmm. you know, and people are kind of having to take what they can get. And that, yeah. that doesn't feel so good on my right. end, you know, because it's such a big purchase. Um, I miss marketing. I mean, I miss marketing listings. You don't really even have to do that anymore. Um, you know, it's it's changed a lot. But the market right now is just insane. Um, it's very difficult to buy a house. Um, because what is happening, too, is if you're working with agents in these larger firms, all those other agents are seeing that listing before it heats the market. So any of them that have buyers... So it really, you've got to be strategic. You've got to be with someone that you know is going to be able to either have listings that you're going to be interested in or know how to aggressively. Um, There's not much negotiation. It's just put in, they talk about, you know, I get the agents texting me, are you going to, are you going to ask for highest and best? I'm like, if you're not submitting your highest and best in the first offer, you're not doing justice to your wow. customer. So speaking of the, the whole negotiation piece with real estate, that's something I know we've talked about before. You really love about the whole thing. Like you've talked about how it's your favorite part of the whole process is getting into the negotiation. Yes. So I wanted to get into that a little bit. Just talk about what your strategy is, what your approach is with negotiations, and maybe some of the specifics that go into that mm-hmm. that are that you've just learned over the years and have really right. served you well. Right. Well, I studied a lot of psychology in my younger years, and there's a lot of that that's applicable in real estate. Anything working with people, understanding body language, you know, building rapport, understanding how to communicate with them is really important. And that applies to the other agent that you're dealing with as well. Um, when... You know, when you're doing that kind of stuff, um, I, I do not prefer to do it via text or on the phone. Definitely. I, I definitely want to call them on the phone. Um, in person's better. My closure rate in person's about 88% consistently. Because you can years. apply everything. Yeah. What again? 88%. Wow. In person. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. That's really impressive. Text? Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> can't negotiate anything through text. But I've taken, I, I mean, I, you, we have clients now. They don't, that's how they communicate. Mm-hmm. You know, I've sold about seven homes to 23-year-olds. We never talk on the phone. Text. We only text. And that's okay. But that's important. So it, I would just say, you know, that needs to be applied. Um, finding out what the seller wants is very important. You yeah. know, and there's different... There's just an agency disclosure. So in in this market, you have, you know, broker, um, transaction brokers, and you have single agents. So there's the same fiduciary responsibilities, the basic ones affiliated with both. But single agents, they cannot represent a seller and a buyer on the same house. Transaction broker, even though I think it's a great area, I don't like to do it. It is legal. 
it's still ethical. I'm not sure how you really can represent both sides to the best ability. It's kind of a, yeah. The only time I'm comfortable with something like that is if the, a tenant's lived in the house for years. They know the house. The seller wants to sell it. They want to buy it. I just do the paperwork. That makes That's sense. the only time I really feel comfortable. They have with. a pre-existing but relationship. Yeah. Um, <laughs> understanding, you know, what's most important to the seller. Um, and then, you know, really trying to just find any way to sweeten the deal. I mean, right now it's like people are writing, having the buyers write letters, you know. Um, sometimes the heartstring thing works. Sometimes you have a very analytical engineer brain on the seller side that that bottom line, those numbers, it all that matters. And it's just a principle because they know that, you know, they're on top right now. Yeah. They get they, the ball is in their court. So, um, you know, it's very difficult to keep the buyers calm. But it's it's a it's a lot of it's a lot of psychology. It's a lot of understanding without getting into too many of my secrets. But anyway, you can find a sweet in the deal. Um, another thing that's happening right now is because people are using the equity out of the houses that they're selling to purchase the new bigger house to mm -hmm. step up. That's what I mean. A lot of is happening. So there's a problem with trying to close on the same day and move out and move in. So a lot of the sellers um, are wanting leasebacks. So that is what something that, that is super common in our market right now where let's say someone in Florida is selling their house and they're going to buy a house in another state and their house here is closing on May 30th, but their house wherever they are is not going to close till June 15th. So they and they need the cash out of this house to close on this one. Right. So they need to stay in Florida, close on the house, live there for a couple of weeks and then, you know, move. So that's a difficult thing. Um, a lot of people are needing that. Uh, there's a lot of creative ways to work around that. I mean, in, in some cases, it's very difficult. There's a house that I was able to get for a buyer under appraised value in this market right now because of a leaseback situation. Wow, okay. So just any leverage, you know, really mm -hmm. negotiating is just finding out what, what they the need behind the need. I've been to a lot of motivational speeches <laughs> in my life and oh, yeah. sales conferences, but really finding that need behind the need. There's people always say I have I, I need to sell a house, but finding out what it is and and finding out out through whoever's representing them is really important. It also helps to know other agents in the market because they know because right now it's almost when I get the offers, I'm interviewing the agent to see if they're going to be able to know or have the support to actually get through the transaction. Right. Because we have agencies in our market that have one managing broker with a thousand agents, how could they supervise a thousand agents? There's no way. And if half of them have only been in the in the in the biz a year or two, you know, who's helping? There's no there's no way. Um, what is a reasonable amount of agents for a broker to be supervising, do you think? I mean, that's a hard question to answer, so many variables because you have people that are experienced, you know. There right. are actually real estate agents that you can go and get a license and be in the market right now and technically not even know how to write an offer because there's the wow. because the agencies are um, support like providing support staff like salaried positions in the office so they get a client they're on a team they hook up with an, a mentor or another agent but it's amazing to me um how much some of the agents don't know yeah. which is a little bit scary. Like to I feel know. like that would be one of the most standard possible things you would need to know like as a barrier to entry is how to write the offer. They've decompartmentalized right. it so much. God. And and that's not everywhere, but that is one of the models out there that's very interesting to me. So, yeah, it's um I don't know, it was the wild wild west before. I don't 
I don't know what this is. <laughs> <laughs> Just a different thing entirely. Definitely, I think there's a lot of people ready for a market correction because what mm-hmm. happened before, I mean, the average lifespan of a real estate agent is two years. There's that allure really? that you're going to be able to go out and make a million dollars, right? Mm-hmm. And this is absolutely possible. Um, but I think that the perception of it being easier than what it is, is it's very hard. It's very hard work. And it's grueling, it's highly competitive, and it's nonstop. I mean, you know, you're always building that pipeline um, because you're working, you know, months ahead. But, um, yeah, I'm really waiting to see um, some of that um, change because what happened before, um, you know, a lot of the the part-timers get out. Because you have to pay fees and things, you know, dues and things to be uh, in in the real estate game. So I I think that that'll happen and – you know, we'll all get a little bit of, you know, a little more market share. So do you think that's one of the biggest things that would be involved in a market correction is just a little bit more regulation with everyone that's trying to get in, um, just kind of limiting that a little bit and keeping it a higher standard? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of little things that could be done. I mean, just some of the descriptions, you know, that agents put in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of my most favorite things when I started working here was listings that would say, like, house located on a lagoon. Yeah. <laughs> it's a retention pond. Yeah. <laughs> and lagoon and from people better. coming from up north or something or, or you know, hilly areas, yeah. you know, I'm trying to explain that this is basically uh, a big gutter. Yeah. You know, <laughs> this is to make sure your, your house doesn't flood. They're probably visual. <laughs> this beautiful shining lagoon and then they get here and they're like and then you tell them yeah what is algae <laughs> and then you tell them any body of water may and could have a gator in it <laughs> yeah exactly yeah i feel like people people have this crazy perception that have not been to florida that just think that there's gators running around everywhere and they're kind of right but they are. Yeah. <laughs> they are well we're chopping into the woods now here in north florida a lot so there's Do you a have lot any of misplaced. crazy gator stories from snakes snakes oh, i can only imagine yeah Snakes, Oof. spiders. Any, any fleas are my favorite. What Fle- are fleas are my favorite? Oh, I'm sure there's fleas everywhere. The f- the fleas are gross because if you walk into a house and the tenants moved out, nobody knows that there's fleas there until you go there, and then they've been sitting in a house. And so when something Oof. living walks in, all of a sudden you're covered. Jeez. I've been attacked by fleas a couple of times. Jeez. It's not all fancy cars and high heels and pretty. You got to get nitty gritty and down into the <laughs> <world> sometimes. <laughs> the zombie houses in the recession. There were houses yeah. that took, you know, two years, three years, four years to foreclose. So when you're walking in these houses, they could have mold. Oh, yeah. Man. I wore a lot of boots. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, yeah. Maybe like a whole hazmat suit would be a good idea for this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think all the luxury agents out there are getting into some of that stuff. But I've always just done what people need and whatever mm. comes around. I mean, if it's worth doing, there's, you know, there's always someone that really needs it. And it, it means a lot to people. It really does. When they, when they see you, like, kick off your high heels and start moving stuff around their house, you know. Um, but we're just people. They can tell you're going to work hard for them. Oh, they know that. Yeah, it's the other thing. When you're hiring an agent, ask them for referrals. You know, ask them to talk to some of their previous clients, um, recent clients, mm-hmm. not someone they worked with five years ago, not a family member, um, right. But, you know, a couple, three, is, you know, three is the magic number for everything. Three, three recent. Um, and then, you know, how, you know, do they work full time in the market? How long have they been in, in the market? You know, but those are some simple things. And I always say interview two. You really should. Uh, it's a good fit. You know, mm-hmm. you need to have a good fit. Um, half of my transactions that I do annually, 
are people that started one eight with one agent and they had a bad experience and they fired them. Half. Wow. Half. That's that's crazy. I wouldn't have guessed that. Mm-hmm. I I would have never guessed that that many people. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, um, I I think it's important that you have a full sit down, you know, with someone because even if you're referred to someone, you should really talk to them because yeah. that fit may not be for them. And there's many times that I think it's really important. Um, it's more important to have a good experience for them mm-hmm. um, than to put another couple of dollars in my bank account. So sometimes it's just not going to be a good fit. And sometimes I just refer them, you know, um, if well, it's, it's not a an very area. high stakes situation. So, mm-hmm. I mean, everything's going to be running high. It's people are going to be stressed on both sides. So if you're not a good fit, it's probably not going to work out. Mm-mm. Makes sense. It's like a relationship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Easy exactly. to come by, hard to maintain. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, um, but yeah. Any other things that come to mind for me on just things that are really important to consider on you know either side, whichever side you'd like to focus on, on the selling side or the buying side that we might have not? Yeah, you know, an- another few trends that I've seen in the last few years, there are uh, a lot of staging uh, companies that have um, developed. There's a lot of... Um, real estate slash design com- firms. I think these are great ideas. Uh, really perfect. I use a staging company. Um, they just they will do so much, and it's not really expensive. I will say um, some of the things for people that are thinking about selling. Um, don't let your agent or your wife or your husband talk you into like doing a huge renovation to put the house up for sale. Okay, that's a big no no. Um, there's, I, I, I'm very frugal, so I'm always trying to save people money everywhere I go, but there's just some really inexpensive things that you can do to get your house ready for sale that, um, really don't cost you anything. And even if you had someone else do it would still be very affordable. Um, if the house needs painting, just paint, mm-hmm. um, that's the, that's the, the, um, least expensive way to really change the whole look of a house. So if the inside, is different colors. If you have, you know, all the custom stuff, make everything more neutral. Um, outside, uh, like with uh, the exterior of your house, there was nothing wrong with that paint, but we just wanted it to pop, so we painted the shutters in the door. Just a little thing, great. like just a little thing like that. Um, mow the grass. You know, make sure the um, the yard is all cleaned up, underbrush, plant flowers. If you have big, beautiful oak trees in your yard, don't cut those down. Trees sell houses. Uh, this is true. People like people like these trees. Um, just decluttering, removing all your personal pictures of your family and your kids. You know, those are just little things that you can do and just clean. Um, in this market, also, you know, what couldn't be a deterrent, because another thing that's happening is, you know, insurance companies have a, a love-hate relationship with Florida. They love to insure because we have so many, we have such a big population, but, you know, we have these storms. So another thing is that they, you know, it's really problematic to get a roof insured on a house that's getting close to that 20-year mark. So another really good thing to do is um, call a roofer. Um, Check out your roofer, even more so, just as as much as you would scrutinize a a real estate agent. What are some things that you would want to look for in a good roofer? Um... Well, <clears throat> I have a few. I'm not going to do any, um, you know, tags today. But, um, you know, some of the things, there's a couple of companies that I have worked with in town where their salesperson will actually meet your adjuster and make sure 
that they see whatever damage that needs to be done. So if you can get your roof replaced for the cost of a deductible, that's a very inexpensive way that you added a tremendous amount of value. Because you can have people that want to buy that house and it'd be a great house, but if the buyer can't insure it, that's going to be a problem. Yeah, it could be prohibitory to them yeah. even being able to buy it. I would so if you're if you have a roof that's more than 10 years old or you've had a recent windstorm or gust, we've had some storms in the last couple of weeks with really high winds here. So even wind damage, if um, the rule in Florida is if 25% or more of the roof is damaged, they have to replace the whole roof. Wow. Okay. That's a good little. That nugget. sounds like it would be pretty common too with all the storms. Yeah. So if you, you know, if if you if you if you need a new roof and you don't have fifteen grand to do it, um, that would be a great way to um, try to get that done for just the cost of the deductible five hundred a thousand. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's significantly less. Yes. Yes. So just find a good roofer. Yeah. Any any other tips on like the inspection side, maybe from either the buying or selling perspective, just things to think about with the whole inspection process? Um, yes, I I do work primarily with sellers, and one of the things that I find that really um, there's nothing worse than you know the house hitting the market, everything looks great, we get a great offer, and everything's wonderful, and then a week later it's like you know we fell in love, and now we want to break up because yeah. they found something significant. Um, it's, you know, five to 800 bucks, depending on the size of your house. If you have an older home, especially the older homes, it's really a good idea. Get the inspection before you put the house on the market. Mm -hmm. All those tiny little things. It is amazing how many people get rocked over GFCIs on outlets. (laughs) It's for, it's, it's to make the cut off in wet areas. So this is a building code that came Uh around years ago, but I mean, I can replace this myself for $10, but people don't know, you know, and you, should, mm-hmm. you shouldn't really do that. For the record, I don't, I don't really do that on yeah. my properties. But it is easy to do because um, I'm pretty handy, and I used to own a handyman business. So the thing is is that they, um, they will get so rocked over little things. Or if you have an electrical panel that's on a list that is known for prone to fires, you know, mm-hmm. those have to be replaced. So getting all that stuff done, so when the – first of all – you get all the little things done. You give, you you use it as a marketing tool. The buyers can see, and the buyers love it because they're saving. In this market, it's a great thing to do for them because the buyers are really. I mean, they're 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 overpaying for houses and they're paying closing costs for sellers and 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 and. So. So it can just kind of eliminate a lot of those concerns right on the front end. Proactive. Yeah. Be proactive. Definitely, definitely proactive because there's some things. I mean, you can really. Um, maintain your house well, but there's some things that you may not see. You know, they go through and check every appliance and every outlet, every plumbing fixture. So good uh, up in the attic, you know, if you've got any leaks there, it could be something so small that could be taken care of. If someone thinks there's a problem with the roof, that could definitely make them want to reduce the purchase price or, you know, and in this market, if your house sits on the market for too long, even though it might be a great house, people start wondering, if there's something wrong with it yeah. because things are flying off the market. So it helps that perception is really real because yeah. that's happened to me where go under contract, go back, nothing wrong with this house. Something happened, but um, everybody's calling what's wrong with this house. It's mm. been on the market for two weeks, which is funny. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you would imagine that that's probably pretty norm. If you look back like what, maybe five, six, seven years, but nowadays it's like, yeah, houses can be, 
up, I mean, they could be sold the day that they're listed pretty much. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Any other tips in that same vein of like, you had the example of the roofing thing where you can have a roofer come look at it and possibly, you know, what could be a $15,000, $20,000 replacement could be handled and fixed for 500,000 yeah. bucks. Any other tips along that same vein of things that you could be looking for that could be a concern <clears throat> that you could really address for way cheaper than right. you would expect? Well, plan B, if, if you can't get the roof claim approved, um, another thing people may or might not know, if you've got the cash in the house and it's going to make the deal go, a lot of roofers will put a new roof on and get paid at closing. Oh, wow. That's a great tip to Okay. Know. So uh, the roof is a big deal. Um, have, um, if you're, you know, if you haven't had your AC or HVAC system service in a while, Get your AC guy to come out, Mm -hmm. Um, the one you trust, not the one that just says to replace it, but have them clean the system and look at it and see how it is because that will come up in an inspection too. So just cleaning a system, um, making sure the filter's clean. You know, Mm -hmm. we run them 24 hours here because it's already 100 degrees out. Oh, yeah. It's only May. But um, snuck up on those are little things. Flowers, I mean, mulch, just Mm -hmm. paint, a lot of things like that. Um, Also, you know, having a list of anything you've done to the house or um, when the last time something was done, if you did replace it. People like to know about the warranties and and any of those things. Home inspections, I have our um, home maintenance um, companies, you know, I have kind of a love-hate relationship with them. They're great if you need them, but they basically insure all the things in your house that your homeowner's insurance doesn't cover. So if it's the first year or two and you're a first-time home buyer and things are going to be tight until you start making more money or, you know, get that promotion or whatever down the road, um, you know, because if your AC goes out the year you buy the house, because air conditioners only die in July when it's 100 degrees outside and they're more expensive to buy. So if you have to replace a system, replace it in the winter. And that's cheaper. when you need them the most, too. Yeah, any AC person will tell you that in Florida. People, A lot of people don't know that because there's demand in the, in the summer because that's when they're really working hard. So if you can have it looked at in the winter, replace it then. Save, and they're less expensive. Makes sense. Lots. It's counterintuitive because you're not thinking about it, but if you can kind of just think about that ahead of time and address it before it becomes an issue. Mm-hmm. Any other, um, actually kind of switching gears, what are some things that you should be thinking about if you're kind of considering buying a home for the first time and you're, you're kind of walking yourself through that process? What would you instruct someone to be thinking about, um, you know, you can get into price range versus how much you're making salary wise and, Mm -hmm. and anything, anything that you think would be relevant, but what are some things that you should be thinking about as a first time? Um, The first thing to know is that it's never too soon to start planning to buy a house. So there could be little things on your credit that may be cleaned up that can be cleaned up in two or three months. Mm-hmm. So I would say if you're thinking of buying a house next year, now is the time to start talking to someone. And honestly, the first person to talk to if you're getting a loan is the mortgage person. Yep. So when people refer to me, the first thing I say, well, we need to come up with a budget that you're comfortable with. And that's where you start. So that process... Um, you know, they need to be prepared to have the documents. That process can kind of slow things because you got to gather stuff and you got to get paycheck stubs. So a good rule of thumb is go ahead and start a file and keep it updated with two of everything, two years tax returns, two months bank statements, um, you know, two paycheck stubs um, if you're self-employed, but they want two years of everything. Um, so that's one of the things that can uh, do that. Don't buy anything. 
there have been a lot of people that are really sad that they were under contract to purchase a house and then they went and bought a new truck or a boat. Oh, yeah. And they do that final uh, run of your credit right before closing. Okay. So that can set off what's called DTI, which is your debt to income ratio. Gotcha. So just basic budget 101. Your housing expenses should be 25% of what you make. Now, that's not how it actually fits in the mortgage realm. Again, I'm not a mortgage professional, but I do know depending on the type of financing that you're getting, there has to be a certain threshold for your debt to income ratio. And that's usually under 50%. Some of them go a little bit higher. I think one of them's like 53, but you really, 50 is a good safe number. So what is considered debt is considered anything that's financed and on your credit report. Mm -hmm. So if you have a revolving credit card, um, a mortgage on another property, student loans, car payments, cell phones, insurance, electric bills, those don't factor in. Um, I would also say start a budget. If you are not someone, this is such a, like, it's so important, but this is probably the number one thing that first-time home buyers are not really considering. And what they really need to do is, is you know, look up Dave Ramsey, start with a budget. I'm a Dave Ramsey kind of girl, but, you know, just start a budget um, and, and, and know what your bills are because when you're a homeowner, things are going to break. You're going to have to have money for repairs. And you're going to want to have money when you buy the house because you're going to want to paint or you're going to want to, you know, do this or add this, replace something. Um, but so don't overstretch yourself. Yeah. Live below your means. Mm-hmm. Um, because right now, you know, back to the, you know, should you buy a house? A lot of people are like, should you buy a house? Interest rates and the prices are so high. But, um, yeah, because uh, rents, um, you know, Jacksonville has been um, preyed upon. <laughs> By investors, period. Mm. And I hope they're listening because it's sad because <laughs> they don't live in Florida. Yeah. They live in other countries. They live in other states, and they're big, big companies. And what um, in the last year, rent has gone up forty percent. It is, and that is that's in Jacksonville. Wow. In fact, it has gained national attention a few weeks ago on sixty Minutes. There, it was priced out of Jacks, and they were talking to people. You know, the investment firm person on that interview was saying that young people aren't buying houses, but the couple they interviewed was a couple that, you know, the husband was a, he was in his profession, she was finishing up grad school, they want to buy a house, and the, their rent was $1,000 a month, went up 40%, so now it's 1400 That's so That's substantial. That's very substantial. So, um, yes, I do think it's still better to buy a house than the, with the rents that are going. And I don't think anything is going to be changing. That, Yeah, there's definitely an af- affordable home thing happening. It just seems like it's getting worse. It is. Rents and everything. Yeah, I mean, I, I know I have a, a couple that I know that live together that almost considered moving. I live in downtown Orlando. They almost moved out of downtown because they got almost completely priced out. And now they're... They're in a situation where they're not living above their means, but they're living less below their means than they wanted to be to be able to continue living their current lifestyle. And it happened in a year just yeah. like that. It's, it it's is crazy. it is very difficult because when when I first moved here, I lived in Clay County for a long time. And, you know, first time homebuyers could buy in the 150 to 200 range, which which used to be the first time homebuyer price point, you mm-hmm. know, kind of for. Um, most workforce, teachers, firemen, you know, um, people that work at hospitals, nurses, things like that. But now, I mean, the medium home price is almost 400000 yeah, in Clay that's County. Significant too. That's outrageous. That is. So, um, yeah, I still think it's better to buy than rent in this market because it, it just seems to keep going up. 
Absolutely. Yeah, Any but- recommendation on maybe the, I, I don't know enough about this, but the amount of the percentage that you should be considering putting down as a first time home buyer or just in general, like as a down payment on your house, what is your recommendation there? Well, I'm always a big fan of other people's money, um, but it is good to put down a significant down payment. If, if it is your first time and you, and you have to go FHA, go FHA. It's not a bad gig. Um, you know, where homes were appreciating 3 to 5% annually um, in recent years, like the last year and two, they're anywhere from 15 to 20% in a year. That's so nice. if you are putting that down, you're, you're going to have equity. People are still moving to Florida. We're still going to be building. Um, but yeah, um, if FHA is the way to go, I mean, there is a mortgage premium that you have to pay, but after the, your home is worth 80% of what you've borrowed, that comes off. Okay. So I would say that's the easiest way to buy. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a good idea to put a little bit down and then, you know, you have to consider how long you're going to live in a house, mm-hmm. you know, that number has changed. People are not living in homes as long as they used to, especially, you know, kind of in military town and things like that. There's a lot of people that move every three years here. So on a little bit of a different note, one thing I always like to ask in these interviews is, you know, if you were getting into your industry, you know, back when you were getting into it, what are some things that you would tell yourself to do a little bit differently or, you know, take that as someone else getting into the industry right now, just not even necessarily specific to how the industry is right now or what's going on, but just general kind of tips that you learned over the years that you would tell that person right before they're getting into it to consider. Protect your contacts. That is number one. Um, there is. Uh, we talked about this a little bit off air. You had an experience where you kind of lost some contacts in uh, a marketing endeavor you were going through. Yeah. So t- um, when if you are for someone who is going into the business brand new or what I would have told myself then is, um, you know, when you are working for big companies, they are very organized and whether you're there or not, they keep records of all of those customers and they continue to market to them. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing to understand uh, joining a firm, you know, who, you know, because if they run through the system for accounting and compliance, they're going to know whose people are. The contracts have information on them. And so, you know, and they have to submit that information to the broker to receive their paycheck. So, um, and also if you're working with a marketing firm, I get calls daily emails, text messages, inspection companies, marketing firms, lead, you know, sources, uh, trying to sell me on, um, stuff like that. So yeah, marketing company, be careful with that because if they're going to set up your CRM, they now have access to all of your data. And they probably found you by reaching out to you, knowing what industry you're in, in the first place. So yes, I I would definitely do that. And, you know, there's a lot of things that you think you got to have to market your business that you really don't. So there was a lot of money I spent on stuff that I probably didn't need to, Um, you know, um, really. So those those would definitely be the probably the two big things. I spent a lot of money on things that really didn't were not fruitful you know, not good to return on investment, protect your contacts, because if, you know, agents leave brokerages knowing, you know, what happens to that. And um, also understanding, you know, how all the splits work. There's a lot of different business models. So um, that would be, and I would also, you know, when you're 
when you're wanting to work at a firm, I would interview the broker and ask them about their agent retention, um, what the culture's like in the office, talk to some of the agents there. Um, they will be very quick to give you an honest opinion about how they work, like working or, you know, any of those dynamics. So right now there's not so much happening with the office. I mean, people have offices. There's there's a, a very fast-growing real estate company in the market now that has no offices. They are 100% on, online. Um, I've been paperless pretty much since I opened up my firm in 2016. Um, you'd really, you know, with all this electronic signature software, you can really go anywhere. So, um, you know, paying for office space mm. may not be necessary unless you're just one of those people that really needs to be in that environment to stay disciplined and on task right. and focused. Okay. What about, um, so you mentioned interviewing the broker. What about flipping that and a, new, a broker that's getting newly into being the broker with agents under them? What are some things that you would want to be looking for in the agents that you're bringing on under you? What their commitment is to like the work schedule. Because um, as a broker, your your main role would be to support the agents. And if they're new, they, they're going to need more time and training. Um, if they're only working part-time, you're probably going to have to hold their hand through every transaction because they only do one every few months or, I mean, another statistic. I mean, the average agent sells one to two homes a year. Those little gig agents that you were talking well, about. Well, I mean, well, there's, I mean, there's a lot of agents right now, so there's a lot of competition for listings, but, um, but yeah, that's definitely something, um, what type of, um, experience they have and if they're going to work full time, because it's really not a good use of time to spend all that time with agents that aren't going to, you know, want to do this as there is, you know, it is hard to go to a straight commission. So there are people that, you know, you have to do both as you're, as you're getting in. Um, but, um, yeah, that would definitely be something, the time and the, and the training and how long they, they think they're, you know, cause you can spend a lot of time with agents and then they have a new idea for a new right. career. A lot of, uh, a lot of well, real estate like, agents, it's their second career. And it's an entrepreneurial kind of thing in general. So, I mean, it it could tend to draw those kind of people that are just kind of looking for different opportunities. And this very, is one that they came across. Very entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Definitely is starting your own business. Absolutely. Yeah. Any other kind of parting thoughts on the real estate market as a whole, on specifically the part that you're in, on... Anything that we haven't discussed yet? Yes, it's still a good time to buy a house in Florida. Make sure you hire a good seasoned agent that comes with good referrals. And if you're walking around as a real estate agent in Northeast Florida, be proud of what you're representing and do it well. Awesome. I love that. Well, Tiffany, thank you again so much for coming on. You really had an incredible amount of knowledge about the real estate market. This was really awesome. I think this is going to help a lot of people that might be first-time home buyers or just are not very well-versed in the space or kind of looking to, to expand what they're doing in the real estate space. So thank you so much. It's a scary endeavor if, you're, if you don't have someone to partner with. So Absolutely. you got to find the right person. Yeah, you do. Well, this has been Profession Session with Brody Vinson. My guest has been Tiffany Howard. And thank you again so much for coming on. I'm going to go ahead and sign off.
Thanks for watching Profession Session. I'm your host, Brody Vincent. You can find us on Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, or TikTok at Profession Session on all channels. You can also find my guest from this episode at the tag and details of this post. Stay tuned for new episodes and short little clips of deep dives into specific topics across all of our channels. If you know a young standout professional business owner or entrepreneur with a unique or interesting story, DM us anywhere and let us know, and they may be the next to tell it here on Profession Session. Until next time, stay focused, stay hustling, and stay networking. This has been Profession Session.